0: My name is Lawrence Rosenberg, and this is the Alpha Human Podcast. Our guest today is Pat McNamara. Pat served 22 years in U.S. Army Special Forces. 13 of those years were with First Special Forces Operation Detachment Delta. Pat has extensive operations in combat zones in Eastern Europe and the Middle East. And during his time in special operations, he became an elite marksman, and would later serve as his unit's marksmanship NCO, eventually retiring from the Army's premier hostage rescue team as a sergeant major. Pat is now the CEO of TMAX, a performance-based training company that teaches individuals how to excel in everything from tactics and marksmanship through to security. And he is also the author of two books, TAPS, Tactical Application of Practical Shooting, as well as Sentinel become the agent in charge of your own protection detail, a book that teaches survival techniques for protecting your family. Mac,
1: welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, pleasure being here. And I tell you, I I love the name of this, the alpha human project, you know, victory Mm -hmm. insight. So cool. Perfect. Thank thank you so much. Yep.
0: Hey, listen, man. Um, you know what? Uh, I think if we're talking about uh, about what makes alpha, you know, I've uh, I've interviewed a lot of guys uh, in the special operations community. I've interviewed a lot of guys that have keen insights into how to accelerate our performance, whether it's through training, nutrition, mindset. I gotta tell you, uh, Pat, that if if you if anyone looks at your videos, if they look at um, if they read your books, if they if they listen to your your podcast, the university, uh, University of Badassery, there is just no doubt that you are <laughs> that you are uh, a modern day alpha human uh, because you're like just pedal to the fucking metal. <laughs> I've never seen it. I mean, honestly, it's it's like Blood, guts, and heavy metal—all uh, yeah. mi- all mixed into the the real deal. Someone with incredible uh, special operations skills that to this day uh, is still out there kicking ass. So it's 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 absolutely an honor to be speaking with you. Uh, so appreciate you doing the show. Yeah, thanks a lot. That was an awesome introduction too. I appreciate <laughs> it. <laughs> well, how, how, look, how, how about this? Let me let me set the scene. Okay, yep. I'm gonna I'm gonna quote you. Uh, From your book, Sentinel. Rock and roll. Okay. I served in the military for 22 years. And in that time, never left the special operations community. I've been battered, broken, and bruised, but have also enjoyed the sweet taste of success as I toiled through some of the military's toughest training. Mm -hmm. I descended from skyscrapers and ran through breach points consumed by fire. I jumped from aircraft at heights where the curvature of the earth was visible. I have flown into hostile territory on the outside of a rotary winged aircraft, and I have tangled with some of the planet's biggest and most notorious villains. So uh, with that said, how did you, you know, how did you get there? I mean, I'd love to, I'd love for you to take us through your journey into the military and- (laughs) into special operations. Because uh, from what I understand, uh, reading and, and, and studying up on on your background, I mean, you almost went right in to special yeah, operations correct. from the get go. Yep. So how, how did it all begin? What inspired you to take that
1: path? You know, it sounds so sexy, doesn't all that stuff. <laughs>
0: it and, sounds-
1: and it reads, I mean, my bio reads, it's like, like I'm Superman. But I got to tell you what, that sh- none of that shit was easy for me you know people people think oh man you excelled in all this stuff and you know what i fell on my face a bazillion times trying to i mean okay. none of it was none of it was easy for me i didn't none of it was a cakewalk i mean i came in i, I enlisted when i was 17 delayed entry program in 82 came in in 83 mm-hmm. uh infantry basic 13 weeks of that to jump school got injured right off the bat, jump school, 18 years old, big, uh, massive injury um, and recovered from the injury. And then right into the special forces course when I was 19. And you know, when you're 19, you don't, you don't know anything. You got, you have no freaking background. You there's, there's no meat and potatoes about you. You know, there's nothing. You don't know anything about basic tactics or anything. Right. So, uh, and, and, and that's, you know, a course like that doesn't measure measure one, just one's tenacity and physical ability. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot of, of men- mental ability. And what I mean by mental ability is more, um, um, uh, you know, smarts than just cognitive, uh, or th- being able to, uh, conduct in like deductive reasoning and stuff like that. You actually have to be smart. You know you have to, yeah, <laughs> right. you have to have the ability to figure stuff out and to reason and to uh, think on your feet. so th- it wasn't a cakewalk for me um, but I, I don't I'm not sure how far you want me to go in depth because I could talk about this a lot
0: i well i I certainly I mean, look, you know when you when you make the kind of uh, bold statement mm-hmm. uh, that we just went over, you know in the quote, like it's, it, it reads like, as you said, it reads like you're a, a modern yeah, yeah. day, super, a real life superhero. <laughs> yep. And, you know, most people think there's no way I could ever be a Pat McNamara. It's just, just no way. Right. This guy is like cut from a different cloth. And, and, and you know what? If, if that's true, if you are, then fair enough. Um, everybody out there the, in the audience, be warned, um, you know, don't don't sign on the dotted line right. because it, you know it, it just ain't going to work out. But on the it's other right. hand,
1: yeah. oh, on the yeah. other
0: hand, if that's not the case, uh, then yeah, we'd love to hear you know why. In fact, mm-hmm. because look, on Jocko Willink's podcast, I heard you talk about the amount of times you failed. Like you said, it wasn't easy. You said you could write a book yeah. on all of on all of your failures. Yep, right. right? You, yeah. you said you said you had to start like over and over and over again. So. Yep. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit about, I think the audience would want to
1: know because there was one thing I think I left out in Jocko's podcast and I want to touch on it briefly because I think it's important for your audience in order for somebody to like be successful, to succeed, to learn you need, there's, there's three, there's three traits that are important. Okay. Attitude, aptitude, desire, right? So you have to have that attitude, you know, that, um, uh, mental toughness. Right. And then aptitude doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be a rocket science scientist, but you, but you need to be able to figure stuff out. You need to be able to, um, to have a, uh, the ability to perform deductive reasoning and you need to, uh, be able to think on your feet and, and you need to have that desire, right? So you need to have moxie could you know? Um, so you need those three things. And, and, and fortunately, I think I had, I, I brought those with me prior to even joining the military because I was a big time wrestler in high school. Okay. So, you know, when you're a wrestler and you want to be good at it, you need attitude, aptitude, and desire. You need those things. So I had some of that already. Okay. And it's funny because a common denominator with a lot of SF special op guys in general is, uh, is um, a lot of them were wrestlers, you know, before that came. That's game interesting. In. Yeah. It, it, I, I, think about that. And next time you have like somebody like Neon, ask them what their sport was in high school prior to coming in Um, because it it seems to me that it's a, it's a pretty, it's a, it's a common denominator uh, with it's, it's very, very, uh, it's extremely common. (laughs) I know
0: a lot of the guys these days uh, roll. I know a lot of them do jujitsu.
1: Right. Yep. Yeah. Oh, well, a lot of them do uh, combatives, you know? So, Mm. and when it comes to combatives, you should be good at both, on the ground and on your feet. You know, you, you, you can't just be good at one component of it. You can't be good at just losing, you know, or accepting defeat. That's what I called it. You know, with the jujitsu right. thing, it's like, wait a second. How did I get there? How did I get in the guard? Did, couldn't I, didn't I have the option to freaking achieve separation first? Right. I said, well, most street fights end up on the ground. I said, yeah, but how many? what do you mean most? Like 90%? I said, about 100% start on your feet. So shouldn't we start there with the fight? And that's one of my, that was always one of my big arguments. You know, so you got to be, you got to be able to bash, okay. bash and go, you know, ballistic micro fight, as Tony Blauer would say. Okay. And you've got to be able to defend yourself on the ground or take somebody down, double leg takedown, headlock, punch him in the face. You know, that Gotcha. Kind of, yeah. So,
0: so you, so you had, it, you know, from, from wrestling in high school, yep. you had this, uh, yeah, the no you know, quit attitude.
1: Yeah, no quit, no quit. Yep. So I, I, it, that was instilled with me, you know, with the wrestling, it's, you know, you you, you if you want to be good at this, you can't quit, you know, and you've, and you've got to work on your own. You've got to try to achieve greatness on your own, not just from what the coach and the curriculum has given you, okay. but yeah. what can you do on your own to make yourself better, to give yourself the edge?
0: Where did that tenacity come from? Was it instilled in you by your family from an early age? Was it in your DNA? Did
1: you have no. a chip on your shoulder? <laughs> no, I, 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 prior to that, I was a very, very gentle teenager, very gentle child. I had really? all, yeah, I had all of the little, of the sissy hobbies. I had nothing in common with like the kids in the neighborhood except for building stuff. You know, we'd build okay. go carts and tree forts, but you know, if their hobbies were sports, mine was watching birds, playing the violin, riding wow. a unicycle. Um, I wanted to do magic tricks. Those, those kind of things, you know, I had interesting, but, but the double edged sword there, you know, it, 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 uh, it, um, I still have a, all those hobbies, but when I was a kid, I got bullied for it, you know, for having all these sissy hobbies and, and right. to some degree tormented, even by a brother of mine. He tormented me because I was an easy target. You know, bully, that's what bullies look for, right? Easy targets. Right. So, so, um, I started wrestling when I was 14 and just, um, I was undefeated. In winning. (laughs) I couldn't win. There was nothing. I couldn't win anything. I mean, I, I I lost everything, even an exhibition match, you know? So I was, I was, I had a perfect record in wrestling my first year and in my second year, I won one match in my second year. One, right? One. Now I'm 15 years old. I won a match. And that feeling, you know, of being victorious for the first time in your life at Mm -hmm. something like this, where you're contributing. Now, granted, I did it On my own but you're also in wrestling you're contributing those points to the overall good of the team right so i remember feeling that and going i want more of that you know that that first time that first victory because this is before everybody got a trophy you know you didn't get a pat on your back and say it's okay if you lost it was just like all right whatever you know you know it was nobody nobody shook my hand and said good job for losing right (laughs) I mean, <laughs> now it's like, you know, participation trophy for every freaking thing.
0: That's right.
1: Um so that that first so a few things happened that year. I had my first victory. Okay. Uh to my my older brother who tormented me for a good portion of my life. I mean bad, bad torment. You know, like like almost torture. Wow. Torture Yeah, really bad. Um he went to prison. Uh mm-hmm. but he was only going to be gone for a year and a half. And uh so I had neighbors who mentored me because they knew this was going on. My parents knew it was going on. They didn't know to the extent, but they knew that I did not like him and he did not like me and that there was a riff. Okay. Uh, But, but I had neighbors warn me, Hey man, you have a year and a half to get ready. What are you going to do? No, just like that. I swear to God. And um, so I kept the wrestling up. I trained with the college team during the summer. I started lifting weights um started working started studying more I just bettered myself I went through a complete metamorphosis during that time I mean total metamorphosis um so a lot of times I have uh, parents approach me and they say, oh my kid's a sissy he's 12 I'm like bro don't worry about it (laughs) I mean (laughs) please don't worry about it I mean I I, it took me till I was 15 right to, to, to toughen up as a kid and it wasn't no, no fault of my parents. My parents, I had really good parents. They weren't abusive or anything. Mm-hmm. They just supported everything I did. They weren't going to push me to sports or push me to this. I mean, right. I knew my dad was going, Oh my God, he wants to draw and try the <laughs> unicycle. Oh, I wish he'd play football, but he supported all that stuff, every single bedroom. Wow. But, um, so in my, uh, junior 11th grade, I was very good. I lost maybe twice in the season and in my senior year I couldn't be beaten and I and I broke all kind of records takedown records pin records point records all this stuff and then went to states and won that Uh, so I was kind of already mentally prepped you know I had that attitude aptitude and desire and that was through that that was that was through you know uh, that metamorphosis of my oh yeah, my my brother came back out of jail. I freaking kicked his ass too. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. He stayed, he he started it. He started it, and I finished it. And I kicked his ass in front of my parents, and they they just let it happen. They didn't even wow. try to break it up. They said, "Well, he's got his up and comments and, and and you know when he comes out of prison, he's a big tough guy now. He's 18, 19, 19 years old. He's got jailhouse tats on him and crap like that. Right. But uh, yeah. So um. The, the fitness thing went along, went a long way, you know, because okay. with, 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 with a strong body, strong mind and confidence, mm-hmm. you have, you have more confidence and with confidence, you're able to perform better too. So it's not the physical portion that makes you more uh, perform better, but, mm-hmm. but, but being able to understand that you're more confident when you are more physically fit and that confidence and performance work hand in hand uh so um the the special forces course when i started that i was physically ready even though i was still nursing an injury from jump school and it was a pretty significant injury i was a toe jumper pulled my bicep into my forearm broke my ribs dislocated shoulder concussion Jesus yeah it was you know it was just a big mess okay um but uh, i was you know had youth and fitness on my side so i recovered pretty quick it was a few months and um went through the S- SF course, had a few setbacks there. And, you know, some of those stories, I just make them funny now. They were very tragic then, but I think they're funnier than hell now. <laughs> and okay. uh, Yeah. Um, but made it through that. And then I started fast tracking uh, where the next school I got, I, I was uh, allowed to go through, through uh, first special forces group was combat dive school. What I didn't know at the time, this is like one of the military's hardest schools. In the military. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you ask anybody in the uh, military. So, like, Force Recon Marines go to combat dive school. Air Force, uh, CCT and Pararescue go to that. Uh, Special Forces, Rangers. They all go to this specific dive school. Okay. Yeah. And uh, it's a really well-run school. uh, A lot of classroom, but physically, it is... It's hard to put words to it when people um who haven't been through that type of training uh when you're explaining it to people who haven't been through that kind of level of training you know okay. it's, it's 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 very tough to to um to describe the level of intensity and the level of difficulty in a course like that
0: physical intensity psychological intensity all of it
1: yes all of it yep physically because the water is the great equalizer you know right. and um it, it, that'll humble you pretty quick. You you only need a few seconds, you know, okay. to be humbled by the water. And now you're doing it under extreme pressure while your heart is res- racing, while people are screaming at you while you have to figure stuff out in the dark with tons of freaking gear on all that stuff. Gotcha. And, and, and you're doing it over a period of several weeks, <laughs> you know, not just not a couple days, but several freaking That's weeks. Right. Yeah. Um, so you get real tough real fast in the school like that now i did not make it my first time okay but attitude aptitude desire once again um they said it was okay for me to come back and i came back a year later this time prep better for it uh the next school i went through is a halo school high altitude low opening no problem with that one Mm -hmm. uh several other you know because the military special ops is like the boy scout with merit badges (laughs) <laughs> you know, as far as schools go, I can't even remember some. I can't even remember most of the schools I went to. I, I really can't. You know, unless wow. they were significant, because some of them are. Some of them could be uh, a couple days. Some of them a week. Some of them two weeks. Some of them five weeks. So, okay, uh, you
0: know what? This is a good place for me to. So, so you're progressing through these schools. Yep. Um, obviously, at some point, you know, you, and you keep going and going and going. Obviously. You know, SFOD comes up uh, yep. and that's not something that, as I understand it, that's not something that simply just, uh, oh, I'm going to apply. or Maybe it is. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but usually, so, I mean, some of the, the operators that I know that I've interviewed um, have, you know, often tell me that they get a card. They get, they get an invitation
1: nope. by somebody. Not with, not, with, not with the unit. The unit's completely different. You have to seek it out. Interesting. nobody's okay. inviting yeah the unit is completely different in that in that you have to you have to seek it out you ha, you're not waiting for somebody to go hey man I know this guy he's a really good guy let's invite him to our to our club okay yep there's n- nothing like that you have to seek it out you have to go find a recruiter you have to go make the phone call and people do very it. interesting yeah I mean people you know there's a, a couple thousand couple thousand do it every year and these are usually top-notch guys in the military. And then out of those couple thousand, you know, a dozen will make it. Yeah. But um, but they seek it out. You have to do this, you know, you have to volunteer. You have to do that. Just like it, just like any other, like, like nobody invited me to go to combat dive school. I had to wait for a slot and say, Yes, I want to do that. Just like Halo School, the same thing. I want to do that thing. I want to seek that out. Let me put on my paperwork, see if I get a slot for that. Okay that and with those schools that i get
0: very yep. interesting that um you, that you have to you have to seek that out that yep. opportunity out and you have to of course make your case to get in but what's also interesting about that is that even if like you say thousands you know you you're left with 10 right or a dozen um but even, even if you make it you're never, you're never really, it, it, it doesn't mean anything because once you're in, you, you could be out tomorrow because yep. you're constantly, constantly being evaluated yep. and you, you know, you really are only as good as the day, you know, you, you know, the day before you gotta, you gotta, I mean, is that the case?
1: Yeah. It, it, the unit is very unique in that. And I think it's more than it, it, it they're way more serious than other special ops units in that, um, you are always on the bubble and you realize that as, as an operator, you understand that you are always on the bubble and the unit reserves. It's the right to fire your stinking ass at any single moment. Mm -hmm. So that, um, that saying being comfortable with being uncomfortable, Mm -hmm. it's a way of life. You know, when you're, when you're in a place like that, it's a way of life. It's not just, it doesn't just mean that I'm comfortable with being cold and wet. I'm comfortable with being exhausted and super hot. You know, I'm comfortable with being uh, uh, sleep deprived. It means also I am comfortable knowing that I can be shit canned at any freaking single minute of any day. So I have to watch my six. I have to make sure that my, that my you know, that I am clean, that I am doing, that I am never late, light, light out of uniform, that I am performing up to standard or beyond the standard. Right. Yep. Yeah. So, and, and I have really appreciated that about the unit and the the sad thing is a lot of good guys have gotten fired, but, um, uh, but, but they usually come, they come clean with something that they did. So there's a lot of integrity in a place like that too. Like I know guys who have been 10 year operators and have did something, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever it was and they said, "Oh man, you know that was the wrong thing to do." And they they come clean; they turn themselves in. Wow! <laughs> yeah,
0: it's a level of accountability that um yeah y- you just you, you really nah, don't you find don't. anywhere else.
1: Nope. Now is
0: is that that is that intent? Now is that just bred into the you know into the ethos uh, of of the unit from its DNA from early on with. Uh, Uh, with Beckwith and how the whole thing was, was formed initially, or is it an absolute necessity given the types of missions that you guys have to go on? Because there's just no other way to ensure that you have someone that is, is as frosty and as uh, capable as someone who is constantly under that pressure.
1: Yeah. I I mean, it's, it's, it's both the answer to both is is yes you know uh so um holy crap that was a long question let me go back let me go back to uh (laughs) let me see the question initially was what was the topic we were talking um about oh a lot of pressure and oh Mm. yes so it's a culture thing right so the the unit started off with a good cultures are funny right okay um if you have a bad culture, like in a military unit or something, it takes a long time, you know, a long time to make that culture better. It could be decades or generations. And that that could go with with, uh, with a society, too, you know, society culture. Mm-hmm. It takes a long time to create a better culture because it, it could take generations. Now, on the flip side, it doesn't take long to, to – uh, do I have to watch my language here? No, no, no. All right. It doesn't take long to fuck a culture up. You know, it could be, an, it could be a matter of days, you know, if, if you start here, but the, so the unit started really strong with the culture. They weren't initially, they, they weren't looking for the best people. They were looking for the right people. And that right person started with, let me seek this out. Like we talked about instead of getting right. invited, you know, instead of the good old boy system. Um, so y- it starts there. Okay. And then, you know, it, at its inception, um, nothing was handed to these guys. You know, they had to scratch and claw. They had to look for work. They had to make work. Not only that, but they had to make their own equipment. They had to figure, sh- you know, shit out. Like how to, th- like the unit invented flashbangs, you know, short f- fuse flashbangs, And they made these things on, okay. a, on a table in a team room. Because okay. nothing was made for them by like 3M or some, you know. <laughs> they didn't have any of that crap. And, and and they were running around in blue jeans. There was no cry tactical pants and stuff like that. You know, they were running around mm-hmm. blue jeans and Chuck Taylors. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. fit, and then sewing their own Kevlar vest together. So nothing was handed to them. You know, it wasn't like okay. Shake and Commandos where you take a bunch of dudes, throw them in a Ziploc bag with a bunch of Fast Tech snaps and, and multicam and shake them up and spit them out. They had to build all this crap. They wow. had to scratch and claw for, you know, different weapon systems. And then they had to build their own research and development section so that they had the ability to test stuff and vet it and put it through the system to make sure that they had the best equipment at the time. So the, and it's constantly evolving and it's still like that to some degree. It's fun because when I go back every once in a while, guys Mm -hmm. will say, yeah, we're using this thing as a primary. And I'm like, Oh man, I was the test bed for that 15 years ago. You know, it's so cool that it's a primary thing now, you know, and I was, I was a tester of it 15 years ago. Um, but yeah, so, uh, I think it's all about that. Uh, you know that's strong culture man and 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 they they've been able to maintain it consistently in other words they haven't had you know because man there's some really good military special ops units out there really freaking good guys because all special op guys are they're cut right. from the same cloth they all right. are you know there's 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 bias like oh this unit's better than this one whatever they're all basically when it comes down to it they're all cut from the same cloth You know, they all um, um, uh, they're not necessarily clones, but, you know, they have a lot in uh, common. And there's really good units out there who were tainted because of just a few really dumbass attacks that that went national or something like that. You know what I mean? Which is a shame because it it doesn't take many people, you know, to screw something up like that for the rest of them. It really doesn't. Right, right. Or I one mean, major, a major incident. You know, a ma- and this major incident could have been mitigated if the planning were better. And the planning that was conducted by this guy wasn't checked by this guy. You know that kind of thing. So, yeah, it's a shame. But so far, you know, the the unit's been been pretty squeaky clean. It's had its it's had its uh its share of of you know snafus and and things go bad. But the th- when you're working your ass off all the time, bad shit's gonna happen eventually.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, that's poor for the course, but right. I mean, the the unit has absolutely been, um, it, it's been elevated, uh, rightfully so, uh, and held in high esteem. And, and maybe it's, it's because of that, that constant pressure for everyone to keep their, their, their ethics, their morality, their, their operating procedures. I mean, just everything has to be like, you know, squared away constantly mm-hmm. and, and maybe, and that creates a culture that, you know, just lasts. It's, yep. uh, you know, for, for, uh, for better or worse, um, it's sort it, it, it certainly for better, it survives any, um, any issue that could come up from an, a, you know, a rogue individual uh, right. or a ro- or an in- incident that, um, you know, is bound to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so another quote here yep so i i set up spy networks in eastern europe during the cold war Yeah. and spied on the soviet army when spying was face to face not in cyberspace right i had to discern discriminate formulate and act in nanoseconds Mm -hmm. there was a time when i was human with immortal qualities I was a creature of the night and a harvester of souls. I was one of our country's agents of correction. I
1: oozed
0: attitude and fortitude. I have protected generals, dignitaries, heads of state and royalty. In so Pat it, it, in the 1980s you're you know you're you're like a harvester of souls. You're you 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 were in play. You were um uh, putting in place spy networks for would-be double agents in Eastern Europe, um, you were like at the epicenter of those cow- those those cat and mouse operations that we all look back on now in 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 cold uh, Cold War era films like with East Germany, um, you know. You, you 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 call it? It was 1980s era high speed stuff in a low tech world.
1: Right, right. I was going to say that. Yeah. Sure. That. Uh,
0: so, yeah, like, you know, all anyone hears about today mm-hmm. is, uh, of course, uh, you know, the Middle East, right? Uh, Iraq, Afghanistan. But mm-hmm. you you were there as well. But you you were, you know, pulling pulling capers and kicking ass at a time when you know a lot of people don't realize how, you know, the, at the end of the day, no matter what happens in the middle East, you know, the world's not teetering on the brink of destruction. Right. You were playing games in a part of the world where, you know, uh, if shit goes South, you're, you're talk you're talking about the two biggest superpowers and the, you know, yeah. the world, these are world level consequences. What, what was that like at that time?
1: So uh, first off for, for the, the, the viewers or the uh, listeners who don't know what you re- what uh we're reading from here is is a little portion of um, the sentinel book. Yes. And th- the biggest reason I wrote that stuff <laughs> is because because I, I go on to talk about who I am now. You know, yes. just a freaking average dude. So I know, in other I'm words, a- I don't take myself too seriously. You know what I'm saying? I don't, <laughs> I mean, it was cool then, but but I was a badass because I wanted to make that point too. I was a badass yesterday, but I'm a badass tomorrow. You know, so that's why I wrote that stuff in there Mm -hmm. to kind of, um, you know, uh, because it offers a um, some legitimacy to who I am and why I'm writing this book. But uh, I was very fortunate in having being able to take part in those kind of Cold War activities, because a lot of people, even now, I mean, my kids don't know about that stuff. That's You know, 17 and 19 years old, they don't know about. I mean, that's all we trained for in peacetime army or in co- during the cold war was to defeat the Soviet union, you know, and everybody knew what the USSR was and everybody knew what their flag looked like. I mean, yeah. my kids don't know that shit now. And that wasn't long ago. It wasn't a hundred years ago. Nope. I mean, I'm not that old, you know what I'm nope. So I was very fortunate in, um, and, and I fell backwards ass over tea kettle into good luck in that job. I mean, somebody asked me about it. You know, they, it was a, a recruiter came around with a list mm-hmm. of names. Okay. And, um, cause I met the criteria. Okay. You know, I'm paperwork. Who's like, these guys qualify on paper to do this job based on, you know, their GT score, their physical ability, their ability to learn, their, their, uh, D lab scores, this, you know, all this stuff, what mm-hmm. they look like. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, that was, a lot of fun and a great chapter in my book of life. I'm I'm so fortunate to have um, been been a part of that, you know, and come out unscathed on the other end too, because it really was a lot of fun. At the end of the day, even though, oh my God, there was some hairy shit. There was some freaking hairy <laughs> oh, really, yeah, 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 yeah. Especially because uh, I had two jobs there. One of them okay. was setting up networks for double agents, and okay. um so it was real cloak and dagger shit. Um, you know, plain clothes, job on the economy, live on the economy. Mm-hmm. And then you had you did activities, you know, like I was a member of the, the Berlin cycling team and a member of the Berlin wrestling team. Wow. You know, yeah, body odor, long hair, mullet, leather jacket, tracksuit, you know, all that crap, all that wow. Eastern European freaking garb garb. <laughs> and then this the second one I I had another job over there because I qualified on paper, once again, and I knew my way around was, um, and, and there's, you might have a viewer or so that, that knows about this one. It's called um, uh, The Mission, United States Military Liaison.
0: Yes, the USMLM.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was a part of that one, too. And that was Amazing. active spying on the Soviet freaking army in Soviet East Germany. And once again, and, so cool, because very few people have ever ha- have had that job. I mean, it, when I was there, I think there were... There were 50 people in that unit ish, right? But only seven of us were 43 of them were there to support seven, that kind of thing. Wow. Yeah. We would go into, uh, East Germany and, uh, uh and collect the, all this photo imagery on the Soviet army. It, it's unbelievable because I <laughs> didn't, I mean, look,
0: I didn't even realize I did some research. Mm-hmm. I, I, I didn't even realize this program existed where, I mean, it's crazy. You think about it, Right. but you know, there was a, I guess an exchange program where uh, they let some of our people into East Germany and we had to let some of their people in to To West West Germany. Germany. Yep. And
1: of course, what are you going to do while you're there? Well, you know, everybody knew the Soviets knew what we were doing. It was all cat and mouse and they had rules and in order to get good information, we had to break the rules. But there was risk with breaking the rules. They were allowed to, to kill you if right. you got caught.
0: One guy did. I, I read yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. guys Maj, got killed. Major
1: Nicholson got killed in I think it was 84 or 85. And that's when they changed how they were doing operations. Because prior to that, it was um it was it was all intel, uh Intel weenie. Until okay. we, so after that happened cuz he was assassinated it was it's a horrible story wow. um, but he was uh, basically assassinated um after that happened they said hey we need to change how we're doing things we need a more decisive nco we need an nco who could make a decision on command you know under pressure you know critical thinking nco where do we get those guys from special operations special forces rangers right so they so there were seven of those slots, seven of them. And I filled one of them. And um and I def there was no <laughs> I can't believe they were doing it without special ops guys. Because Amazing. you really had to have you had to have balls to do that to be that and when it when you went on these tours cuz there was just two of you. There was one special op and we both had certain skill sets or or similar skill sets and then separate skill sets. For instance, right. Um, German speaker, expert, whippet, Warsaw pack ID, okay. Uh, officer NCO, officer, um, Russian speaker, fluent, Warsaw pack ID, expert, um, officer. So, so you went with this team, and we're both um, uh, experts on photography. Okay. And back then it was, you know, all Nikon F1 stuff. And we had an F1 body attached to every lens that Nikon made, you know, right behind our seat. And the, wow. the lenses were stuck in Ethiphone. So that way you could just pull out, you know, a 500 mirror or a uh, uh, F1 body uh, with a uh, fisheye lens. <clears throat> and then we know how to develop all this stuff. And, um, you know, we were all black, uh, our darkroom geeks too. Uh, but yeah, it was freaking, it was awesome. Um, and there was a lot of studying that went in, into that because you had to stay up on the WIPID, the Warsaw Pact ID stuff. Okay. Uh, because the Soviets, believe it or not, have a lot of equipment. <laughs> <laughs> okay. and, uh, and you had to be keen on not only the, the make and model, but the variant and the year of it. You know, for instance, uh, let me let me think of a, uh, a a piece of equipment that you'd be familiar with. You know, you had to know the difference between a T-72 and a T-80. You had to know the difference between a BMP-1 and a BMP-2. You had to know the difference between a, 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 a BTR-60, 70, and 80. And the variants. You know, is this a comms vehicle? Is it a, a right. satellite vehicle? Is it a, you know, what kind of vehicle, what kind of variant of this BTR-80 is this thing? And- you also had to be I- able to identify them under a tarp. So if this vehicle is tarped, <clears throat> can you identify? It was called tarpology. My God, dude, we used to have to really freaking work. You know, computers did nothing back then. It was all human. It was all uh, just human performance, human training, human study. You know, and and, and 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 you had to be you had to be coached on how to study. Okay. You know, because how does one study to learn that stuff? And the Brits had an awesome school for it. And um, when I went to that one school, that Warsaw Pack ID school, I was the only American in the school. <laughs> yeah, I was yeah. the only Yank there. Yeah, it was funny. Um, but uh, yeah, I was very fortunate to have been a part of that. You know, and and it, it, a lot of that kit still resonates. I mean, I know the difference between a, you know, you're all 375, you're all 4320, a Zill 131. Uh gas sixty nine you know, all I, I still know all these things. Like the, there's a movie on and they're using like authentic Soviet era stuff. I you know can all pick, that equipment. You can pick all of that out. Yeah, I know all yeah, I, I know. <laughs>
0: So yeah, you read it. You know, God forbid you were to read a Tom Clancy book. You're right. You're like, right. Oh, yeah, man, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure he that. does his homework.
1: You know, I bet that guy does his homework pretty uh, well.
0: But yeah, it's got yep. it. it's, it's yep. a, That's a geek fest that those books.
1: But that that job was so. Both of those jobs were so rewarding, and you don't know it when you're there. You know, you don't know it when you're there. Mm-hmm. It's just it's just the job, and you're okay. You're just working your ass off. But you you look back on it, you reflect and go, man, that was so freaking cool, especially because nobody. I mean, there's barely anything written about this, this stuff, you Absolutely. know, and, there, and, there, and, and besides for that, very few people have actually done these kind of things. It's not like they've been around for, um, you know, 100 years and they have a birthday commemorating when they were first, you know, uh, established and that there's, right. you know, been 50,000 alumni. I mean, we're talking dozens of people.
0: Yeah. I, I honestly when i you know as soon as i, I as soon as i saw us mlm as soon as i saw this this thing i was like what is yeah. that i have oh never- so you checked it out oh of you course i did
1: yeah yeah, good, good. Go, i checked
0: go. it out i read up on it i, I was like what you know so it, it's crazy but it's it's an incredible story and you
1: know there should definitely be um you know some more stories about the us mlm but um, yeah, i love i love talking those stories those are fun stories because uh, you know i I mean it's been so long ago, I don't think I'm breaking any laws talking about it. Right. So yeah. right. Cold War's over. Yeah, cold war's
0: you know, over. We, we yeah. won. And that. it's not
1: like I'm gonna uh, disclose any technology secrets because yeah, it's PVS fives and a freaking we weren't even using SATCOM, you know. Wow. Or, no, no GPS, it was one over twenty-four thousand topographical US GRS MGRS maps, you know. So it wasn't <laughs> Unbelievable. I'm not bi- gonna bygone era. Yep. So okay,
0: so we've now we've kind of um, set the uh, the basis for you know what it is you've accomplished, what you've done. Obviously, we could spend you know three days talking about how how much you've accomplished. Twenty two years in special operations, uh, obviously it's a it's a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but now that we've done a little bit of that, let's get into the book Sentinel, right? Sure. Because You know, um, if there was ever, you know, a book called Become the Agent in Charge of Your Own Protection Detail. Mm -hmm. You know, people, you know, you're thinking off the cuff, my own protection detail, survival skills for my family. Funny thing is, there's probably never been a more relevant time for this book, given the state of affairs uh, in our country right now. You have riots uh, in major urban centers you have crime rising in a lot of major cities uh, in the United States. It's a very, very, very tense time mm-hmm. and it's funny you wrote this book 10 years ago,, yep. but I, I read it and I'm like, man, this is this is like important stuff for for like right now yep. um, And so I'm gonna quote you from the book because now I'll put in perspective, Yes, you were you were you describing yourself as this you know um you know yeah. this superhuman harvester right. of souls, but you say in the book, you know once you were out of special ops, you're like I have a new mission now, right? right? It, it's it, you know it's a it's a mission of self preservation and force preservation, for my family, right? You were talking about how you've got kids now. You know, you traded in, uh, you know, uh, ops behind enemy lines in, uh, you know, uh, behind Soviet enemy lines for, you know, just taking care of, of your kids on a daily basis, mm-hmm. getting them back, back and forth to school. Uh, and, you know, you talk about self preservation and, and the, the preservation of your family. What was it? I mean, I, could, I get it now. Right, because this is a tense time. Yep. When you wrote this book, like what, you know, what was it that motivated you to say, "I'm I'm writing this book, a survival book for how to protect your family uh, out there in the world"? What was going through your head?
1: So interesting backstory on that. I was training right before I wrote that book. I was training some Marines, some um, uh, on the special ops side of the house. Okay. And I was talking. They they were interested in executive protection, and I said. You know, I kind of run my family like an executive protection detail. And they said, well, how's that? And I said, well, this and that, you know, I said, and at the time I was, I was married to a different woman and she didn't have, I had no buy-in from her. (laughs) She just thought I was a freaking nut, you know, no buy-in, no buy-in. Now the the gal I'm with now, I've been married to and with for almost eight years, 100% buy-in. So it's always a bonus if you have buy-in from your, your better, from your better two thirds, you know? Yeah. So, but at the time, um, I said, yeah, so these are some of the things I do. And, um, one of the guys go, Hey, all that stuff. Do you think when you get back, you could type up a word document about some executive protection stuff? Um, I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. 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 I said, just send me an email to remind me. And I got home. He sent me an email and I I wasn't, I, I was not happy in my life then either. Okay. Cause I had these, uh, um, Relationship problems, and I was kind of raising my kids, raising them by on my own and okay. taking care of their mother at the same time. Okay, um, so I was really cognizant about take because these were two freaking sweet kids, 100% dependent on me. They don't know I'm an ex special ops guy, they just know me as dad, right. you know, they don't give a crap,
0: right?
1: You know, they, they, could they? <laughs> They could really give a shit. They just know I'm dad and then I'm fun. And they didn't know why I did stuff. And, and I, I, I didn't need them to know. That's right. Um, yeah. Uh, so I, I, um, I sat down at my desk and read his email. And I said, yeah, I'm going to start jotting some stuff down. And I remember sitting in the same spot for about 17 hours. Because I felt this release. You know, okay. and I felt better and I was I, I just throwing ideas on paper, you know, every once in a while tilting back and going, oh, this too. And just, okay. you know, just uh, basically um, regurgitating from whatever was in my brain onto the screen okay just in lumps it did it had made no no sense it was no rhyme or reason it was just scatter scatter brain stuff just spill it out there i'll fix it later kind of thing but it was okay. really about 17 hours i go get a snack come back crack a beer drink that and boom and i i, I remember scanning through it because i had little headers you know home fortress um uh street smart uh cqb uh hand combat and going holy crap I know a lot of stuff (laughs) you know it was it was this realization realization moment to me that holy crap man I it's a I'm amazed at how much that I know that I don't like I don't know that I know you know I, I think I've forgotten more about tactical stuff than most people know probably um so I thought I'm going to keep working on this because at the end of 17 hours, I think I had like 45 or 50 pages. It wasn't a word document, you know. It was a, it was a lot of information, and then now it's unscrambling the puzzle because I I think that's the that's that's key when writing. Just get your thoughts out as fast as you can. Don't worry about it. Un un unfuck it later, you know. Just right. just make sure your data dumping. Just get it on there. Just just pump it out as fast as you can. All those thoughts and ideas.
0: So you were OK, because, yeah, clearly you were going through some shit at that time. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and, you know, look, here's what you said in the book, because, again, it's like you're this uh, you know, you were this um, hardcore special ops, you know, uh, superhero. Then you're like, fast forward to today where I have a less than arduous task list.
1: Right.
0: <laughs> I, I must assist in a school field trip. Right. I am packing lunches with PB and J's juice boxes yeah. and fruit roll-ups mm. at, at times. I feel as though someone stepped on my man card. Right. So look, I, <laughs> you know, look, obviously your kids are older today, but at the yep. time, you know, you're you, I mean, that's a crazy transition,
1: mm-hmm.
0: special ops. Yep. Fruit roll-ups. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's like, so what, what was that transition like, um, you know how? How did you transform yourself from operating in like a volatile and chaotic, you know, ambiguous environment uh, out there on the the missions that you had to uh, be involved in, and and just you know being being on like the the razor's edge to hey, being dad again. I mean, I,
1: I, it wasn't. It was not an easy transition for me. As is it for a lot of retired ground pounders not just special ops guys but guys who deploy a lot ground pounders like combat arms guys so infantry Mm -hmm. guys in general Mm -hmm. it's not an easy transition because because you miss you miss it you miss that lifestyle you miss the camaraderie you miss the connection with these certain types of human beings you know you you really miss it now you deny it at first Mm -hmm. and initially it's an adventure it's like ah, cool i'm a civilian now Doop But, uh, the but pretty soon you start, you start realizing, damn, I have, I've got no freaking purpose, man. I've got no meaning. You know, what am I doing? Where am I going? Uh, so I had like a lot of guys like me. I, I had a, I, and mine was long. It was, it's a, it, it's a sob story, but, but I could, I could, all, that's one part of my life that I can't make funny <laughs> is a long, is a long bout of depression. Right. You know, and, and struggling with booze. I can't, I can make all the ho- other horrible shit funny, you okay. know, all my injuries, all my failures, but that one, I, I, it's hard for me to make funny because I don't even, you know, even when I think about it now, I think it's important to disclose it and to share it with people mm-hmm. because there's a lot of guys, when I share that with them, um, they realize, holy shit, that's me. And thank you for disclosing that and talking about how you were able to get out of this rut because a lot of guys pay professionals or go to group therapy or are medicated to bring themselves out of that, out of that rut. Um, I just had an epiphany, you know, a spiritual awakening, call it what you will, but Mm -hmm. I was in a dark deep rut for a long time. And, and write writing was an outlet. So I wrote that book and I'm not, you know, I like to write. Am I great at it? No, hell no, but I, but it's, but it's fun. I wrote a lot of articles for magazines then. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was one thing after the other, but the Sentinel book, I realized, damn, man, this is going to help people out, you know? And, and at the time it was almost, it it was a, it was a wish and a reach, you know, is it going to help people out? But when it started selling and I started reading the reviews, it was fun to read reviews on like Amazon books, you know, it's like, oh man, people like this. Right. I'm on, I'm on Amazon. It's so cool. (laughs) Um, But like you said, it's even more relevant a, a more than a decade after I wrote it, you know, it's even more I, relevant now. I, I, Not I only it. It, 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 ha, did I put that book out, but for years on social media, I've been putting out PSAs I, for you. Cause I have, I have a, a big platform, right. Big footprint on social media with mm-hmm. that put flat, but with that footprint comes responsibility, right? You know, you have to be responsible with it. And I think you have to use that footprint, that signature, Uh, for the greater good me personally a lot of people use social media and um it's it's ugly it's nasty you Mm -hmm. know and and when you when you find yourself looking at that stuff just just achieve separation control alt delete just get away from it Mm -hmm. it does you no freaking good so i make sure that my not only is my content clean but i try to keep it funny but i've been putting out psa's like sentinel-esque psa's for um a couple years now. Oh, uh, and it was my buddy, uh, CJ Ortiz, who we partner on the university of badassery. Right. He said, Hey, that sentinel, that dog's got hunt. You have to do more with it. And as he's talking about it, I swear to God, it was that fast. I went Sunday sentinel sermons. That's yeah. what I need to do. Sunday sentinel sermons. So I started putting out those 30 second PSAs, yeah. you know, and, uh, and they were just all snippets from the sentinel book. Mm-hmm. But I, it was funny because during what I call coronication, you know, when we first went into lockdown. Right. And I put a couple of these PSAs out. Guys were saying, oh, you're just doing that because of the quarantine. It's like, dude, I've been putting these out for years, man. Right. Years. I told you you needed toilet paper. You know, I told you you should collect all wipes. I told you you need food you know, that you should be prepared. You should, you should always have gas in your car. You know, I've been saying this stuff. I've been putting it out for free, not only in the Sentinel book, but just, I want it. I love to make people better people. You get, a, a, there's a satisfaction you get from it. You know, this affirmation, this, this, uh, sense of, uh, uh, achievement, you know, when you, when you, when you realize, damn, man, I am making people better, uh, people. So anyway, it took me a long time to get out of that that rut of depression, even to re- realize it because right. you don't want to, you don't, cause you don't recognize it when you have, it. you don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 I tell you, I was all, I remember the feeling. I don't remember saying anything, but I remember the feeling of almost capitulating, you know, to wow. almost quitting. Wow. So not, I'm not saying like suicide or anything, but just saying, fuck it. I, I'm just going to leave this world behind and I'm not doing anything. You know, I'm just going to drink and take pills and, you know, that kind of thing. Right. Because I was already drinking in excess, not, not necessarily in excess, but all day long, all day long. I was drinking every day, Um, but I was able to come out of it. And it was just an epiphany. I'm talking to my son one night. I was talking to him. He was just a a very young, sweet boy who was 100% dependent on me and thought Mm -hmm. that the sun rose and set on my ass. You know, I was just, I was dad to him and there was nobody like me and we had th- this heart to heart and I don't know if he was like six, mm-hmm. but he's looking up at me with these gigantic brown eyes, you know, and these massive eyelashes. And, um, I realized, fuck, damn, man, I've got to be, a, I've got to be around for you. I've got to be around for you. Wow. But before that, I, I you know, I was just throwing caution to the wind. Yeah, whatever. Cause I was angry. I was depressed. I was going through this horrible freaking relationship because the relationship wasn't just horrible. It was, there were, there were prescription meds involved, you know, there Mm -hmm. was, so there was a lot of no connection between the neuroreceptors, you know, we're delusional and paranoid. I was living in a household like that. Wow. You know, so it was, it was, it was bad. So every day I was angry every day. I would wake up angry. I would go to bed angry and I would spend the day just in a rut, just blue you know, in a rut, but uh, able to, and uh, I programmed it in my head where, after I talked to uh, my son, James, I programmed it in my head. I said, tomorrow morning, I'm going to get up and um, I'm going to, I'm going to stoke the fire. I put my running shoes out by my bed and uh, put my, I don't know iPod you know, full of tunes down, put Mm -hmm. some running shorts out, set an alarm clock. And it was like a Saturday morning, got up and just, just started, just started running, just started boogieing. And how far, I don't know, more than 10 miles. It was an hour and a half. Wow. I ran, yeah, I ran for an hour and a half. I came back, I was starving because I didn't eat the night before because I didn't want it because I was living in the bonus room above my garage. I did not want to go into my house to see the other person who occupied the house, my kids would come up and kind of hang out with me in the bonus room. Okay. And then I spent about another hour in my driveway, just working out, you know, almost to the point of passing out. And when I finished, I felt like I was, ah, you know, on top of the world again. I felt me again. I, I had to rediscover myself. And I liked that feeling. And, um, and it was amazing because several other things happened that day that, that, uh, pushed me out of that. And my local police were part of it. You know, they came to us. They didn't even know they were assisting me. They had no idea. It was just something they said about, yeah. And and I don't need to go into detail about that, but a light bulb came out when they said, Hey bro, you need to get, basically what they said is you need to get out of here Mm -hmm. and you need to take um, radical, you need to take radical steps. Okay. They said the kids are resilient. You're staying here for the kids. They will understand, you know, and when the cops said that, I I remember breaking down tears because, because this has been going on for four years. It's just depression and being in this massive rut. So it was a way of life for me. And I just came out of it. And then they spilled this on me. And I'm like, oh man, somebody understood. I I thought it was all alone. I didn't think anybody understood. But the thing is, they had been to my house so many times because of her calling. Okay. That they knew, they freaking knew. They were like, Oh my god, this poor guy, <laughs> you know, this guy's he's Yes, he's living in a screwed up freaking world because they knew who I was too. And by they that knew. point, yeah, by that point, they knew your background, right? Absolutely. Um, but yeah, man, after that, it was uh, you know, I, I, went, I went balls to the walls, uh, I ran into a lot of other bad luck in business. But the thing is, my attitude had changed, I was back to attitude aptitude desire i was back to that again you know so i came full circle where i where i kind of relinquished that lifestyle Mm -hmm. and now i was back to living the sentinel lifestyle um living a commando lifestyle and um being happy about scratching my way scratching my way back up to the top because i had to do it several times since uh let me see when i left that household was 2013 yeah And, and another thing um I talk about this on a couple podcasts. Uh that point where I almost capitulated to darkness and I put my running shoes out. When I woke up in the morning and I started running, mm-hmm. I just started on my run and I said to myself, um, because I, I don't know if I read this somewhere or somebody told it to me, but bro, you have not been buried. You have been planted. And I am gonna grow from wow. this. Wow. Yeah, I, I am I am I am going to freaking grow from this and and damn you know what here's a here's a sad part as as much as i hated that time in my life and i can't make it funny Mm -hmm. i would do it all again to have what i have now
0: that's an incredible uh uh story of catharsis and uh coming out of the other side of a very uh a very dark time um you know it's amazing what just that one moment where, as you said, a child looks uh, into your eyes, and yep. you, you see you see things differently for one. And then you take one more step, and you you have an incredible uh, workout, and you f- and all of a sudden you feel good again. Um, what's what's um, what's fantastic about that story is that, as d- you know, four years of darkness to get to that point. But what it means is that anyone can find solace in. Simplest of things: a child's eyes, a workout, and their life can change on a dime. So, you know, it, it's it's an amazing story, uh, Pat. Thank you for sharing that. Um, yeah, man.
1: I I yeah. I, you know, and it, it, and it's not something that that I want to. It's not. I don't want empathy from it. It's not that I'm boasting. The only reason I share that is because the last time I shared it on on a podcast, mm-hmm. it helped a lot of people out. Yeah, I can imagine how it would. Um, so if I could help one guy out and he says, holy shit, man. Yeah, I still have an ember. I could make a fire out of this ember. I, I know I can't because I, ha- I have an ember, you know, right. at least if you have that, that little bit of an ember. If you don't have, see that, that's my ember was almost out. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it was wow. almost freaking gone.
0: So so now now we've got a we've we've got a bonfire. Yep. And um, so so check this out. Here's a quote from Sentinel. All right. You can, you can see the fire now. Um, hunt it kill, it, kill it, eat it. Eat it. <laughs> do not. It, <laughs> now you say, look, it, it, you know, do, don't take this literally. It's an mm-hmm. idiom of sorts for regaining one's intuitive nature. Right. In each of us lives a primal side, a set of survival skills passed down from a million years ago. It is about pursuing what you want. Intuition is a gift that we humans are born with. We can exercise this function and make it stronger. Talk talk to us, Pat, about intuition, why it is so important to regain that power, that gift that we all have. Because right. m- look, most of us completely ignore our instincts these days. We We don't even see a need for them any longer right. because- Right. We no longer live nah. in a world where instincts yep. matter.
1: No. Yep. Yeah. So it, it one thing it's funny when you said hunt it, kill it, eat it. I was thinking, holy crap, imagine if I wrote that today. People <laughs> would get offended. I mean, this is only a couple of years ago. <laughs> but now, I mean, I might not be able to put that book up, you know, on on certain uh uh that's um, right uh book vendors. Without <laughs> question. Right? It's so freaking like funny. Because the- when you said that, I went, I'm gonna kill it, eat it. I said, Oh yeah, that was cool. Oh, wait. Nowadays, that's not cool. (laughs) Oh, my God. I'm inciting violence or something. (laughs) Ah, It's scary. Yeah. So that's a natural defense mechanism built into our hard drive. Right. Intuition. Mm. And but we have relinquished all of this, all of these defense mechanisms, a lot of them, even physical ones, like the ability to move away from danger. Right. Mobility. I like to say, mobility is survivability. And so many of us don't see the need for fitness. Right. Well, there's no big need for that. I'm a computer Pusher or whatever it is. Right. Um, but uh computer pusher, paper pusher, (laughs) or computer geese. These days it is a computer pusher. Right. But um so we've relinquished a bunch of these uh natural defense mechanisms. So intuition one, mobility, another one. And the other thing is, I mean, we are so freaking connected that we are disconnected, you know. Right. We are so reliant upon um, technology that we are completely disconnected. It blows my mind. I have a saying, every night is Saturday night, every morning is Monday morning. So a lot of times during the week, I stop business at like 6 p.m. And I meet my wife, Rebecca, out in town. And we'll sit outside somewhere and have a pint and chew the the fat. Mm -hmm. And I'll watch families walk by. And I'll see a guy with his family, wife, two kids, and he's taking point and he's in 45 degree syndrome. He's looking at his cell phone and he's walking in flip flops. And I'm thinking that is not sentinel. He has no idea what's going on around him. He's so freaking comfortable. He's so fat, flaccid, complacent, gelatinous. You know, he's, he's so happy in his perfect little plastic world mm. and it, it, it just drives me freaking batshit but the thing is you know i hate to it's because it's an axiom that's overused and abused but um complacency kills mm-hmm. now that's not saying that there's danger around every corner that's just saying that shit happens St- Tree branches fall cars for whatever reason go off track you know for whatever Right. People, uh, 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 kids are uh, uh, dogs run out of alleys and they get confused and might bite somebody. You know, you've got to be a little bit switched on if you're walking around. So I, I talk about it in the book a lot and this. I think it's in this chapter. It might be in that chapter in intuition and intuitiveness mm-hmm. is Cooper's color code, you know, white to red. So Cooper's color code white is like zombie mode. Red, you're fighting for your life. Right, a lot of people when they're out and about are in white. They're in complete zombie mode. Now, me, zombie mode is when I am sitting in my recliner, range of panties, flat screen TV. I've got a monitor below that, but it shows all the blind sides of my house. Okay, even in here, see, I have door closed. You know, even in here, I've got two of these with me because I've got door closed. So I'm I'm not completely in the white. You know, I'm sort of in the yellow because (laughs) I. because I, I still, you know, it's, it's permissible for me to be in the white when I'm in that recliner. That's it. But if I'm out with my family, if I'm out with my wife, bro, man, my head is on a swivel. I'm watching her sick. She's watching mine. And wow. we're in the, now we're just in the yellow. We're not, you know, like freaking ninjas or Secret Service or anything like that. Right. You know, but we're in the yellow. We're just switched on. You know, we're just exercising a little bit of situational awareness. It's just a little okay. bit. That's okay. all it takes. Just a little bit, because the best way to get out of a bad situation is don't get there in the freaking first place. Yeah. So a lot of people, you know, when you, so let, let me draw you an anecdote, uh, three years ago, th- I think it was three years ago, New York subway, um, crashes. Remember, it, it was, I think it was in Grand Central Station. It was a big freaking deal. And right. a bunch of people got hurt. This uh, this this subway train was only going 15 miles an hour. And 45 people got severely inj- injured. You know why? Because they were hanging on to this and looking at this. That's they right. had no idea what was going on. They had no freaking idea. So if But they, if they were looking and going, holy shit, man. If one guy was looking and said, hey, guys, we just went through the barrier. Hell, hold on. If one guy did that, I guarantee you nobody would be hurt. <laughs> But they were, I, I guarantee freaking to you, they were all doing this. Here's another, here, here's another uh, little anecdote and st- uh, uh, for you. 11 teens a day, 11 a day, mm-hmm. die because they're texting and driving. Now, that, that's a stat that's not sexy to talk about, so we don't ever hear about it. It's always, you know, this is sexy to talk about because it's, there's a political agenda attached to it. Right. But nobody wants to take away these, these away, these kill people. They kill people domestically and overseas, dude. I've 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 used this to freaking kill bad guys overseas. <laughs> Isn't that a weapon of mass destruction? That's right. The phone. But the Eleven teens a day. Eleven a day. Now that's unbelievable. Well, right now, if you if you, but check out the check check that out because every once in a while I'll go back and I'll look at that. I'll look at uh I'll I'll, I'll double check it. It's probably going down dramatically this year or in 2020, of course, because there's very few drivers on the road. Right. Right. That's so. Right. But uh, can you imagine that? That's teenagers a day. That's not people in the U.S. That's teenagers because old people are just as freaking guilty. You know, you look around at, at how many people are disconnected. You have to assume when you're out and about that most people are switched off. They're switched off. Me, when I'm out and about, switched on. And what does it take? Just into the yellow. Just trickle into the yellow. Just stay out of the way. Trickle into the
0: yellow. Uh, you know, it's it it's true. It's amazing. I mean, I, I'm the same way. And until I read your book, you know, now all of a sudden, uh, yeah, uh, you know, all of a sudden I got my head on a bit of a swivel. Right. I'm in the parking lot. I'm checking things out. Right. You know, I mean, just I like just these little things. Right. That you know, uh, you know, obviously, uh, it could be as you say. You know, this kind of like certainly here's a quote actually you say executive protection is an atrocious job yeah there's nothing glamorous about it it is not sexy it is not about being a gunslinger or or about muscle flexing it is exhausting frustrating and taxing so like if you're like you know you could be hyper vigilant when you're with your family Mm -hmm. but it's like it's a job it's like you got to be you got to be all in but you don't have to the average person doesn't have to go to that level if they read your book Yep. Just a little, as you said, just a little bit of situational awareness is an amazing, uh, you know, is, is, is a, an amazing little thing that can change your life in big ways. Right. Um. Here's, here's a quote is, is something I want to ask you about. So you say when driving, let's talk about driving. Yep. You say when driving, drive to save your life. Right. Drive defensively and be prepared to drive offensively when necessary. So. So Pat, you make a point about critical mm-hmm. skills necessary when driving that most parents never think about whatsoever, including things like ditching procedures when going over a bridge. Right. Yeah. Uh, right. Or navigating and, and threat assessment in parking lots, which I picked up on, which mm-hmm. is great. M- look, most of us, th- most of us, we view driving as a subconscious task.
1: Right. As, yes.
0: Right. And, and yep. so- we we look at it as like no difference than taking a walk or a stroll we're oblivious mm-hmm. so w- talk to us about the importance of driving that that concept
1: driving to save your life well so my kids um i i, I got custody of them this year and like i said they're 17 and 19 they've been they've still been in that horrible household for a long time this year i got custody of them so they're having to uh, rediscover life you know they're having to learn how to navigate through life and they're Mm -hmm. leaps and bounds they're they're kicking ass they're kicking ass at life they're learning how like the uh, how to be self-governing and stuff like that awesome um but they're also driving you know and so i talked to my kids about it and they know my disdain they understand my disdain for even talking on this while you're driving even talking, not just texting, but talking. Because like you said, driving should be a subconscious level driven task. Mm-hmm. Now, when we are doing this, we're doing one of those two things. We're either talking on the cell phone or we're driving. Right? Right. We're doing one of them. One of, we're, we're not doing both of them with any cognitive level of thinking. One of them we're doing with cognitive level. The other we're doing subconsciously. So this one we're doing subconsciously now because this is all conscious. That's right, right. right. This is, this is priority. I'm talking on it. I'm doing something. Um, so it's a bed, big pet peeve of mine. Okay. Because, um, it, 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 when you're on a, and I tell my kids this, so, uh, when we're on one of those two, two lane roads, 55, mm-hmm. both ways, I told my kids the, the only thing separating from you and that car coming at you is two thin lines of yellow paint. They decide whether you live or you die. Your life is literally in their hands because how fast are we really going? Yeah, we're going the speed limitation. We're going between 55 and 60. How fast are they going? I don't know, 65. Um, And are they competent? Um, Are they texting? Are they distracted? Are they angry? Are they drunk? You don't know, but they're coming at you in a freaking, in a weapon. That's going 60 freaking miles an hour. That weighs several freaking tons. So, if you're doing that, I mean, think about it next time. So, so if you're doing this, or let's say you're doing this, now you're doing this, and you're going. And yeah, you're you're one of those lulls right here. One of those times you go like this, he crosses the yellow line. Dead. I don't care what kind of safety stuff you have in your car head on, you're probably dead. Because you're doing this over and over. That's how long it takes him to cross that yellow line. So I always tell, I tell my kids, I, I always plan that guy coming at me. Mm-hmm. i plan on hit, hit, he wants, he wants to, to harm me. That guy right there. Okay. So I'm dry, you know, on roads like that, I'm not comfortable. I'm not like this. Okay. I am. I'm 10 and two, because if there is a head on, I want that airbag to work effectively. Right. I want the safety measures of these auto of these modern automobiles to work effectively, like they're supposed to. I am um, also looking for an out. You know, so if I do, if I forecast him across that yellow line, or if I catch him in time, that I have an out and I could go through that hedgerow or through that fence or into that pond because it's right. better than a head-on collision. and right. that has saved that has saved my ass twice in the past three years. Really? Yep. Avoiding a freaking head on because it's becoming, it's, I mean, these are ubiquitous, right? And it's, it's, um, becoming more and more prevalent that people are texting and driving, talking, driving, see it all the time. I I would say this is bold. This is a bold statement, bold, but I would say that 80% of drivers are, um, distracted based on what I see, you know, if I'm looking at inside of other cars, it's not common for me to pass five cars where five people are driving and texting. It's not uncommon. It's not, it's, it's not, it's not. So just consider that, you know, that that person who's coming at you at 60 miles an hour has the ability to, to end your life and whoever's in the car with you. So when you are driving, I feel, I find it. So I'm one of these guys too. When I see a mother in a minivan Mm-hmm. With kids in the back texting mm-hmm. and driving I'm beeping at her <laughs> I'm doing it um uh, she doesn't know it, but I just may have uh saved her kids' lives yeah you know she might flip me off right now but she might think about it later she might reflect on it and say, hey it was pretty irresponsible irresponsible of me you know, or maybe she'll see one of my videos you know <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe talk
0: about it. Jesus yeah. uh, listen um you know, it's again, it's these little things like you call them, uh P, you know, PSAs. Uh, Sentinel PSAs, <laughs> right? but they, but you know, you know what they're, they're actually you all of a sudden now I'm thinking about it. Right. And yep. it's, it, it's, it's good. It's good stuff. Uh, you also talk about, uh, you know, entering a facility or an establishment like what you, you so here's a quote, you should have a mental checklist. That you can access each time you enter a facility or an establishment.
1: Right.
0: We do not plan to fail. We simply fail to plan. If I'm out with my family, I am packing a pistol. I want to know if trouble is coming in. So I ask myself, if I were a sociopath, which direction would I move after entering? Where would I aim my shotgun? What are the natural lines of drift in this establishment? I visualize potential chaos picture complete bedlam with everyone simultaneously running for the exit this is a necessary component of preparation in the event all hell breaks loose because when pandemonium strikes there's no time for analysis
1: so pat right through analysis comes paralysis right so that mental checklist doesn't have to be long it's just a mental blueprint blueprinting right and it can be one or two things like it could be like for instance where is where that's where i came in is there another way out yeah where's an emergency exit i there's a couple pubs in town Uh that only have one way in and one way out i've been in them you know how many times i've been in them one time (laughs) (laughs) When I when I said where's the emergency exit, you know, they're it's the same way. Yep, never coming in here again. No freaking way. Okay. Um. Uh. So it could be as simple as that. Um. I mean, how many how many times we have we read about in the past couple decades where like people at concerts have been fires and stuff, and the emergency doors were blocked, or they had only one entrance in a bar, you know, that kind of thing. No freaking way. Nope. No freaking way. Especially if there's a lot of people in there, if it's congested, because the sheeple are going to follow the first person who moves. And that first person is probably wrong. Right. You know, but then they're all going to run the same way. They're all going to, the sheeple are just going to do what the first sheep does. Jesus. So, um, but that mental checklist, it doesn't have to be, you know, because I can't assume that everybody can move well, that everybody has a gun. But the thing right. is just a little bit of prior planning. Prevents piss poor performance, all that stuff. Five Ps right. just, just a little bit. Like where is the emergency exit? And this is great for the kid, for kitties too. So when I would take my, I call Walmart, the epicenter for disaster planning. It's a great <laughs> training ground for kids. <laughs> so, you know, when I park in Walmart, I would tell my kids, all right, heads on a swivel. And then I would, and this is when they were little. Cause they loved this. They thought it was a game. They thought it was cool. Okay. I said, all right, uh, cyan, you take point. So she'd lead us out, you know, this eight-year-old girl. And then she would look both ways before crossing and, and then I'd stop them, uh, just before we went in, I say, point to where we parked and they, boom, I said, all right, all right. Okay. I right, said, so, so if we, if we get, if we get separated, this is where we're linking up and then we go in and then we get into the guts of the Walmart and this could be any place. It doesn't have to be Walmart. Don't freak out on <laughs> me. I always use Walmart as an example. People go, Oh, i am never going to Walmart, dude. It's any place. Right. <clears throat> It's a state fair, same thing, you know, a big place with a lot of uh, commotion and people. Once we get into the guts of it a little bit more, I go, okay, if we get separated, this is our new meeting place. And then I'd say, Hey, quiz for you. Where's the closest emergency exit? And they both go right there. That's all right. I got a quiz, another quiz for you. If we had to go out that way, which direction, right or left, would we have to turn to get to our car? Now the gears are turning, and they're right. like, "Oh my god, oh, right, bingo!" Absolutely, you know. So they it, 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 but it's so easy, you know. It's so easy because kids are into that kind of thing, and you can play Kim's games with game kids or or, or uh, uh, memorization games or for like we let's let's say we leave Walmart now. You know, hey kids, another quiz for you. What was the name of the lady who checked us out at the cash register? You know, because she's wearing a name tag and they'd be like, Oh man. But next time they're looking at more and more stuff, you know, they're picking up on right. more details because I'm going to ask them like, uh, you know, so they're, now they're on their own. They're looking for the emergency exit because they want to be first. They want to answer first. So now they're looking for it on their own. And now they're looking at name tags and they're checking people out. So their heads are on a swivel now. It's so freaking easy to train little kids like that just to be a little switch on because kids, oh, man, it's so sad nowadays. Um, parents and uh, are are training their kids to be complacent, to be switched off. They have electric kids at one and a half, two years old, know how to swipe right or swipe left. So, yes, yeah, it's true. I I, I saw a, a child once two years ago. They were showing this child a, a girl. She was probably two and a half years old. A photograph, and she was swiping it to get to the next one. It was a fo- paper photograph. Oh my god! Yeah, she was swiping the photograph to get to wow. the next one. Yeah. So scary, you know? Yeah, it, it, it is. I, I, uh, and I, um, that's that's one of my next projects is I'm I'm going to try to uh, produce a product to help parents help themselves by helping their kids be more switched on. It's no, it's a great. I think it's a great product, and the yeah. fact that you can
0: you can turn it into a game—that's uh, what it's it, going to be. Yeah, it's brilliant. Yep. Yeah, I think that's yep. great. Um, okay, now another mm. part of all of this is combat strength training. You train people in a system that you developed. Yep. Called combat strength training because yep. you know you could you could have your head on a swivel, you could take these precautions, uh, but you know if you're To use your phrase, gelatinous (laughs) and flaccid, yep, uh, and and the shit hits the fan, you know, and and you actually have to do something and protect your family physically. um, What are you going to do? So you you have this system. What talk to us about
1: combat strength training? What is it? What's your system all about? I'm not going to go deep into the evolution of it because this could take a freaking hour. No problem, Um, but um, so. Combat, str- I've defined it as a system that retrofits the combat chassis so that it performs more efficiently at near maximum capacity, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Uh, and it's a performance-based system. Uh, it follows a, a, it follows a performance-based training methodology. So instead of outcome-based where execution with consideration of the consequence, will I succeed or will I fail performance-based understands that we all perform differently and performance can be measured by doing what we can with what we have. So Mm. it'll work for everybody, right? So performance-based training asks how well, and it it asks, it simply asks if you cloned yourself yesterday, can you kick your clone's ass tomorrow? It's as simple as that. So it's all about making incremental improvements. Okay. And then I break the body down it because, um, some of this is for subliminal manipulation, but I, I, I talk about the body as being your combat chassis because okay. when I when people read it, I want them to think, yeah, no matter if I'm short and fat or tall and bony, or if I'm old, my body is my combat chassis. Now I need to retrofit that so that it right. performs as, as best as this combat chassis can perform. I need to retrofit this combat chassis, you know, that kind of thing. So it's a little bit of subliminal manipulation there. Just a little kick in the freaking dick. Okay. Um, And then I want people to understand that it works for everybody. Uh, But it's a fun system. I, I say that it's fun in that it's not mundane. There's no routine. Because routine is a playground of a dull mind. And if we're in a routine doing the same thing the same way every time, we fall into this rut of complacent adaptation and we're not making any progress. So I want to mix it up as much as possible. I want to confuse the body as much as possible and I want to make it fun and interesting. Okay. So the other thing that's easy to do about it is, um, Oh, first off, let me go into the, um, the formula formula is to, is to work in anaerobic chunks in circuit to near metabolic threshold to meet anaerobic goal. So this requires about 30 minutes of time. So, I'm already mitigating excuses because people say well I don't have I don't have a lot of time That's the other right. thing you don't need a lot you don't need a lot of is equipment um, because of coronanication I am never going to a gym again I have my gym in my driveway I've, and I've, I've seen spent, you
0: with, I've seen you with the bands
1: yeah I've got bands I've got a driveway gym I've got all the all the things in my driveway um, but uh you go, go on,
0: you glossed over. You didn't gloss over it. You explained it, but I want to. I want to focus in on it for a moment because you may. There's a very important distinction you made, mm-hmm. which was this this idea of um, performance based yep. training versus outcome based training. Right. Th- this is like really. Uh. You know. This is like a much bigger, bigger thing than. Oh, yeah. um, just you know, and and there's a reason why. You talk about it in your training because um, we are, as uh, you know, in our culture, we're very focused on outcomes, right? We're very, we're trained from, from, I mean, even all the self-help books are, you know, you you know, goal, 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 outcome, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. But, but (laughs) you make a very important distinction that forget outcome. You know, right. you, why, you, why you work Oh,
1: yeah, I, let me, I'm going to talk a little bit. Let me talk a little bit more about this. See, yeah, it, please. So with the outcome-based training, like I said, it's, uh, it's, um, execution with consideration of the consequence. Will I succeed or will I fail? How many am I fast? What you're doing is you're basically adhering to some bullshit, arbitrary standard that some dude wrote down and put in a book. Does it work for everybody? Hell no, it doesn't. And you know, you know what that, what, what that does to people? They get freaking hurt. You want to see the typical uh, outcome-based training uh, uh, that a a place that epitomizes that is go to a CrossFit gym and read their prescribed workout on the board, Mm -hmm. you know, and watch at any given. Because when I started doing this on the outside here Mm -hmm. in civilian world, combat strength training, I was doing it in a CrossFit gym. And at any given moment, these people who are doing wads, 50% of them were broken, had an injury in, in some place. They were ailing. They had a, they had a shoulder owie or a joint issue or right. you know they had a back pain or at any given time. where here, here I was older than they were, probably fitter, and I had no and with f- f- four reconstructive surgeries, 13 broken bones and two concussions under my belt from the military. and I'm feeling good. So um, when you think, when you think outcome, right when you when when you have that in front of you it, it, you know adhering to that bullshit arbitrary standard yeah think about the outcome it it controls or affects the way you perform it sabotages the way you perform and the probability of achieving the outcome you desire will increase once you let go of the need to have it you can't worry about the outcome right you have to worry about See, performance-based training recognizes ownership. There's ownership there. This is something I am doing, right? It it recognizes the individual, not the collective thought process. Right? You know, the collective group. It's individual-based. It's performance-based. So it gives the individual permission to perform at his at his own pace. You know what pace is that? I don't know. But one of the things I never talk about, I never say like when I'm training somebody physically or on the range, I never say push harder, go heavier, shoot faster. I usually say, slow it down, go lighter. I'm usually the opposite. Yeah. I'm usually totally opposite. Uh, I mean, I will kick somebody ass if if they're being lazy, you know, if their work ethic is off or, you know, if they're late, but I'm not going to say push harder, push heavier, go faster. Very, very interesting. Yeah, but um, it's it's a good system and it's fun because the work week is broken down to a power day, strength day, speed and quickness, hypertrophy, skills. So now you have you have specific focus and you know it prior to. It's not like you're showing up in the CrossFit gym and reading the whiteboard of what the wad is and going, Oh man, oh, this is gonna be a great workout. No, you're already pre-programming the day before. Right. Because you know, all right, today what day of the week is it today, for example. I don't even know what day. Oh, (laughs) Tuesday. Yeah, today's Tuesday. So tomorrow is Wednesday for me. You know that's speed and quickness day. I'll go to bed thinking about speed and quickness. You know, yeah, I'll go to bed thinking, all right, what am I gonna do with speed and quickness? So in the morning, I'm ready to attack that. I'll even write it on my whiteboard before I go to bed. So when I wake up in the morning, drink my quart of water, make my coffee. I'm seeing speed and quickness on my daily whiteboard, you know, on my, on my mission essential task list. It's one of the things I need to accomplish today, speed and quickness, because that mental programming is, is huge when you're, when you're working out, you know, you want to make it, you want to, you want to maximize that available use of time and assets available. Mm -hmm. Maximize it. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Just, it's a completely different way of looking at training and it, 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 actually i could see why it's so motivating mm-hmm. to start viewing things from a performance based <clears throat> perspective instead of an right. outcome based so that's another cool little thing um that you learn in the book sentinel another yep. is you talk about urban survival yep so here's a quote right um well actually forget the quote because when i when when most people think about survival skills yep what do we th- we think about get you know getting a cabin and learning how to survive in the woods
1: right
0: but unless society collapses not to say that it won't i mean you know but but unless it does most people will will more likely need to understand how to navigate and survive in urban centers again you got pandemics you got riots you got crime i mean so can you talk about the concept of, of urban survival skills in fact you you came up with a brilliant acronym called survival yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, that kind of talks to this but i'd love to hear your views on why urban survival is so important
1: yeah so the acronym i i learned this acronym i'm pretty sure in the special forces course when i was 19 years old and it stuck with me it resonated wow. and even more you know while i was in the military i'd never really thought about it but outside outside um, I had to use it a few times. So it's a great acronym. You could just look it up on the interwebs, but survival is an acronym. acronym, acronym. Size up the situation. Undo haste, makes waste. Remember where you are. Vanquish fear and panic. Improvise value living. Act like natives. Learn the basic skills. Thank you, Rebecca. i didn't even get distracted see that that was a that uh, that was a subconscious level driven task right there
0: that's powerful you you get you get a kiss and you're still plowing through that
1: acronym but the thing is so so when yeah man once again people are switched off you know most people don't even know cardinal directions even in my town right i I don't live in this thriving metropolis but even in my town there's very few people on a cloudy day That can tell you the cardinal directions, which way is north, south, east, and west. Very few people. You know, guarantee you, there's very few people. Um, So, you know, no cardinal directions. You know what else people can't do is navigate with a map. No way. So, the thing is, when you earn it or start it, I mean, start it now. Start it now. And for not that you're planning for society to collapse, but Mm -hmm. because it's fun and it's a, it's a skill that we should know how to do in case there's a power outage. How about that? Okay. Do power outages happen? Hell yeah, they do. They happen all the time. Did cell phone uh, systems collapse? Hell yeah. You're temporary. And we're, we're going, oh my God, uh, my first world problem. Uh, I can't freaking update my Facebook status for another half an hour. But um, But pick up a map. Where do you pick maps up? very they're, they're they're almost an anachronism right now right but visitor centers have them and i guarantee you, even a place like manhattan they still have maps most people are saying screw that they're on google maps or you know on one of their uh map apps and they're walking on their cell phone they're looking like this get a freaking map man put a freaking compass in your pocket you know it's got north seeking arrow and check out where north is and learn how to navigate using city blocks and not only that but the fine art of learning to ask directions. <laughs> and here's another one. Mm-hmm. And you know what b- b- people can't do? And this is one of the episodes of my, um, one of my basic dude stuff episodes was drawing somebody a map. You know, because that, I mean, you're old enough to know, to remember uh, I, drawing maps for people.
0: Uh, you yeah, know? I remember it. That's how I would get around. Someone would draw me a, You know, my yeah. grandfather would draw me a map.
1: Yeah, on the back of a freaking piece of cardboard, you know, on the back of a sign or or, or whatever it was. Yeah, you drew people maps, and they even had north-seeking arrows on them. <laughs> but it, 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 it's a lost skill. But the thing is, let's say you do have that power. I'm not gonna. I'm. 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 not one of these doomsayers and all this stuff. I am. I. I, I prep. I prepare for worst case scenarios. You know what I'm saying? I'm not mm-hmm. paranoid, but. I'm not going to get caught with my pants down because we don't plan to fail, but we fail to plan. And when we do, we get experiences and experience is something we get shortly after we need it. <laughs> there you go. So, um, so practice these practice these old school skills. And if you don't know them, ask a dude who's older than 40. <laughs> right. You might, you might even have to find someone who's older than 50. Right. Yeah. You might, you might, these days. but but you're pretty safe with older than 40. But the thing is the only reason he's saying that is because people have gotten lazy. <laughs> yeah. yeah they've fair gotten, enough.
0: Yeah, they've gotten- um, so I, I want to ask you two more questions, Pat. Yep. You've been very all generous right. with your time. Um, and I want to now get, get back to kind of some of the things we were talking about earlier, because first of all, again the book Sentinel so much more incredible stuff in there that we don't have time to cover but I want to get back to what you said earlier about attitude mm-hmm. because you know you talked about um, you, you talk about attitude aptitude and desire I think you said yep but what I wanted to know is I heard you I, I've heard you say that attitude can be learned right? how does one learn how because if you don't have the moxie, right, how does one learn to have it? How does one figure that out?
1: <clears throat> you need a small series of successes, right? small series and in order to have those small series of successes, that has to be done on your own. Now before it's done on your own, if you don't have that moxie, but if you have an ember, somebody needs to stoke that for you, right? Somebody needs to, somebody needs to kick you in your ass initially. Now, I love doing that. I love jump starting somebody's somebody's system, okay or putting a fuel on their ember and and turning that into a flame. Okay? If I don't see an ember, I really don't give a shit. <laughs> nope, I, If they don't want it, I don't want to give it to them. I'm not going to motivate somebody who's not able to be motivated. Okay. It's a waste of my, I tried that in the past. I was all, you know, Oh, I can motivate anybody. Nope. Nope. But if they've got that Ember and they like, uh, I'll give you a, an example. Okay. Um, Oh, I gotta be quiet about this. My, my daughter, my right. daughter, uh, right. cyan, she said today, cause she doesn't do this. She said, I am going to go. Um, I'm going to go work out today. She doesn't do anything. I mean, she doesn't, you know, she doesn't look, uh, She doesn't look like she's unfit, but she doesn't, she does no exercise. Okay. Okay. (laughs) And I said, dude, I am beaming with, um, pride, even though you haven't done anything yet. Just saying that means that you have an ember. Okay. I said, here's the other thing. Strong people are harder to kill. You know, I try to like joke around with her like that. And she goes, yeah, you're right. I said, cool. And what did I do? Nothing you know i'm not going to say yo you should do this or that or okay. you know this kind of thing nope that she, because if she could um nurture her own ember mm-hmm. right if she mm-hmm. could nurture her own ember and start a flame i'm going to wait and trickle in and every once in a while just throw a piece of wood on that just you. you know every once in a while okay because with that those small successes of doing it on your own that ownership she's going to start developing that attitude, you know, which is kind of like that confidence, you know, confidence and attitude are kind of, they're very similar. Right. Um, and, and so confidence, attitude, mindset, all that stuff Mm -hmm. uh, kind of works hand in hand. So I am, I am, I am very excited to be on this journey with her. I don't know where it's going to go. Um, but the other thing you, you have to do is you have to, when you're motivating somebody, you have to know what to say, but you have to know when to keep your freaking mouth shut and say nothing too. Right. That's you know, real yeah, important. That's hard. Uh, <clears throat> so I am nurturing this ember like you would not believe right now. Because <laughs> I, I want it to develop an attitude. That's amazing.
0: And that's, 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 that's great. That's great insight. So mm-hmm. my last question for you is this. So when you were in that dark place, for four years. And, you know, you you had your epiphany and then, you know, slowly but surely you, you, you found, you found something to kind of kick that, that the, the old Pat back into, you know, the, get you, the combat chassis was fired up again. The the mindset was fired up again. I heard you say uh, in an interview that in order for if, if someone was if someone was like you or if someone's staring into the abyss or in a dark place, then in order to get out of something like that, they need to find a mission. They need to find me. You said your words were they need meaning, they need purpose. Right. Yep. What what I want to understand is because you know people talk about purpose, but what I don't hear them talk about is how does one find purpose? And I'd love to hear from you how, if you're in that place where you're wandering and you yep. need meaning in your life, how do you find, how do you find it? You know, you talk about maps. Yep. So how, how can someone navigate to find their purpose?
1: You know, it, it it's tough and it's going to be individually dependent, right? Um, mm-hmm. Because, People are going to look at that different, but in order to have purpose, you need to be, be doing something bigger than yourself. Purpose isn't, you know, necessarily earning a dollar. Mm -hmm. You need to have, um, oh man, shit. There's a word I'm looking for. I'll think of it while I'm talking about this. I hope, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, it could be as simple as volunteering, helping people out. Right, okay. purpose, okay. meaning, um, or being part of, you know, a a group that 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 does something for the greater good. Okay, it could be making a widget, you know, or volunteering at a um, at some kind of charitable outfit that that helps uh, the less fortunate. Okay, there's a lot of meaning that comes. You know, a lot of you feel. Yeah, uh, um, you feel fulfilled, fulfilled, thank you, okay. fulfillment, you know, with that, you need to do something that, that fulfills you, you know, where you feel where you're filled. Um, So it could be as simple as that. Uh, that's, that's what I tell people. You know, it can't be like just working at a hardware store and telling somebody where, you know, the hex wrenches are. That's not what I'm talking about. Right. I'm talking about bigger than you, you know, and, and volunteering is an easy thing. You know, it could be volunteering to help kids be better kids, kids who have shitty freaking households, dude. You know how, how fulfilling that is, helping out kids. <laughs> so imagine it's amazing. Yeah. Imagine you're at a boys or girls club, right? Volunteering your time <clears throat> because you're a shithead right now. You're drinking yourself into oblivion, but you used to be cool and you used to know sports and how to coach soccer. Mm-hmm. But now you're with all these kids who are. Just elated! They're so happy to be in these boys and girls clubs. Yet you don't know, but they're abused at home. Most of them are freaking hungry right now. They're malnourished. They're undereducated. But you're looking at these little kids, and they're like, "Oh man, this is the best freaking thing ever!" And you start teaching them uh, soccer because you used to be, you know, a soccer player, or you coached it for a year in in uh, high school as a high school soccer coach you have you have meaning and you st- because you start getting that fulfillment and that's going to bring you back too right that you're right. going to be brought back to that because right. holy crap now you have people who are depending on you so now there's purpose and meaning they're de- and I'm this is an example so um you are driven now to come back to this thing because dude I can't let those little kids down there's no freaking way they are depending these kids are depending on me um, to teach him whatever it is, this forward move in soccer. And then, and then you, uh, you, you realize that you could help out whatever in an old folks home playing freaking music or, you know, you are grooming dogs that are, have been neglected. But I mean, it, it's as simple as that, uh, doing something for the greater good, doing something that's bigger than you and, uh, finding meaning in something that's going to be, be fulfilling. I yeah, uh, easy that's- as easy as that. Yeah.
0: You know what? That Now that's, what's so important because again, a lot of people speak in platitudes. They just talk about, you know, find your meaning, find your why, find your purpose. (laughs) Right. right. Right? And it's like, Oh, okay. But how, but how, and this, this is, this is important. Mm. Um, I love that, you know, because in the end you said something in there also, that's really interesting. You said, you know, you'll find meaning in in an instance where all of a sudden people are counting on you people yeah. are depending on you yep and <coughs> once someone once someone depends on you, when someone counts on you mm-hmm. like a whole set of, of 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 machinery starts moving in your psychology yeah and it, that's powerful stuff um
1: yep so real quick i i, I want to go to but i have one more kind of anecdote <laughs> i have to i have to go but so people at, i i post a lot of workout videos and people ask me bro what in the hell drives you how are you so driven and i and i say if i am motivating you then you are you are bro so thank you because my i am fulfilled right from motivating all these people by posting workout videos and why do i do it a lot they're They're, they're depending on me. They're depending on me to post this stuff. I know I have to get out there in the rain, in the shitty freaking weather, when I'm hungry, when I'm tired, I have to put, I have to post this shit because people are depending on me. And, um, so they're, they're, yes. Am I motivating them? But, but because yep. they are, uh, because, uh, you know, they're, they're motivating me. Wow. Yeah. To,
0: it's a, cer- a circle of accountability.
1: Yeah, 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 absolutely. It's brilliant. Yep.
0: Pat, thank you so much. Um, right on. So much insight packed into this conversation, and there's so much more out there. Where I, I, I'd love for you to tell our audience where can people find you on the interwebs.
1: Well, it's so long as the interwebs still exist, <laughs> <laughs> for now, uh, uh, my, uh, my big platform where I post a lot of free goodies. I have two uh, different um, IG accounts. One is University of Badassery. And uh, my private or my personal one is at T-Max Inc. That's T-M-A-C-S-I-N-C. And then I've got a, a YouTube channel, Pat Mac YouTube channel. Boom. That's about it. Boom. Yeah. Uh, amazing stuff.
0: I implore everyone out there, um, check out Pat's uh, YouTube So many cool things on there. We didn't even get into uh, dude stuff. Right. Uh, Yeah.
1: For another time. For another time. Because that's another half an hour of discourse Uh, right
0: there. But so many cool cool videos on there, PSAs, interviews, uh, University of Badassery. Pat, thank you so much uh, for coming on the Alpha Human. We we appreciate you, man. Thank you for your service. And uh, just uh, keep rocking, keep kicking ass right on
1: thank you very much for having me and thanks for everybody out there watching rock and roll baby